Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I once thought these things were valuable. This is where I love New Living Translation. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I love it. He just flushed them down the toilet. That's literally what he's talking about here. He's like, these things used to matter to me. All these trophies I used to have on my mantle about the Pharisee of all Pharisees, blameless concerning the law, although technically we know, and he would even own up to the fact that he's like, nobody was blameless. He's like, all those trophies, I just took them off the mantle and I threw them in the garbage because that's where they belong. So many people are under the impression that their good works and acts of kindness can somehow get them closer to heaven. Unfortunately, many don't realize that even their best works are filthy rags in comparison to Christ. Pastor James reminds us today that we have absolutely nothing to boast about outside of Jesus. If it weren't for him, we would have no hope at all. Don't fool yourself into thinking that there's anything in this world that's as beautiful or wonderful as spending eternity with God. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Philippians chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Philippians chapter 3, I think a very valuable lesson for all of us is to be had today concerning this portion of scripture. We've been walking through this book, we, we technically we're going through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves in the book of Philippians because Paul, on his uh, second missionary journey, visited the church, well, planted the church there in Philippi, and then you know, we got the great story from Acts chapter 16 with Lydia and the, you know, the demon-possessed girl and then the Philippian jailer, and then this church grows out of that experience, and we didn't want to press on any further into Acts until we, we said, hey, let's, just, let's go through the book of Philippians. Why not? When we get back into Acts, which will be in a couple of weeks, we'll cover one chapter, and then we'll be into probably First and Second Thessalonians, okay, because that's one of the ones that's going to come up next. Um, so we're just going to kind of walk through the book of Acts and take uh, some detours, we'll call it, as we're going through this book. But we found ourselves in Philippians. Paul is addressing this beautiful church that loves him dearly, that has supported him on these missionary journeys, uh, both through prayer, through actual, like, physically, you know, sending Epaphroditus to go and minister to Paul while he's in prison, and he's writing this letter while he is locked up. But then also financially, they support him as well. They've given him a couple of gifts that help Paul just along, his, all along the way as he's, he's going out and doing what these guys were not able to do. So in light of that, as, as this church has grown near and dear to Paul's heart, he, he writes them this letter. He sends it back with Epaphroditus. And he, he basically is just thanking these guys because they've been, what a beautiful church. What a great church. Not a whole lot of problems to address. Um, did they have their problems? Every church does. But Paul doesn't have to spend too much time addressing some of the issues. What he gets to do is he lets them know that he's been so encouraged by them because of their faithfulness to the Lord, because of their commitment to serving the Lord. It has been encouraging to the Apostle Paul. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us as churchgoers. It's to remain faithful to the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to, to make the job a little bit easier for all the Apostle Pauls that are out there, right? So if we're being knuckleheads in here... 
causing trouble and all that stuff and fighting with each other and all that. It just makes it that much more difficult. Any church would do well just by being like the Church of Philippi, okay? Supporting the missions, supporting those who are out there serving and going where we can't go and all that good stuff, and just constantly just, they're so excited about what the Lord's doing. So excited, like getting reports back from Paul and all this good stuff. So we want to be like these guys. But in this letter, as Paul's, you know, kind of encouraging them and all this good stuff, he does have some warnings. We'll see that in the very first part of this uh, chapter three. But he has some very good um, wisdom for all of us in moving forward. That's a key key to life, right? Movement is life. I've said this before. Movement is life. And not just like physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, movement is life. And especially for us to move on from the past, both good and bad experiences, you have to move on. You have to move forward. You have to. And so this is what Paul is going to address here. Verse 1. I'm going to, I'm going to read from New King James. Verse 1 says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's a good little uh, reminder there for all of us. He'll, he'll go into that in further detail in chapter 4, but for you, for me, uh, if you want a personal application point, well, you don't have to go much further than sentence number one in chapter three of Philippians. Hey, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Hurricane, rejoice in the Lord. Two hurricanes, <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. Coronavirus, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I don't think you're getting it. Now, I don't think we're getting it. I don't think we're getting it. Rejoice in the Lord. He would go on to say, like I said in, in chapter four, rejo- rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, Rejoice in the Lord, right? Just rejoice in the Lord. Just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. He goes on to say, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. He says, it's not, it's not a problem. It's actually beneficial for me to, to tell you these things over and over again. He's like, I, I never get tired of telling you the same things. You might get tired of hearing the same thing, right? You might be thinking like, there's, there's some things that I say all the time. And I repeat them all the time, right? So you might get sick of me saying the same thing, but I have no issues with telling you the same thing over and over again, because if that's what the Lord is telling me to say, then I'm going to say it. And I know I have a problem with repetition, uh, because somebody has told me that before. Not here, but I had an individual after I spoke one time in Amarillo, and they were like, you know, you repeat a lot of the same stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then somebody came alongside them, and they're like, yeah, but he's a youth pastor. Kids don't listen. And he was like, oh, that probably makes sense. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Thank you for that. Did you hear what I was repeating all the time? Because there was probably a, a point behind that, you know? So it was like, but Paul is here. He's like, listen, I, what? I don't get tired of repeating the same thing. Why? Because you need to hear it. We need to hear it. Rejoice in the Lord. Stop saying that. No, start listening. Start listening. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul's telling these guys. It's safe for us. It's a safeguard, as New Living Translation says, it's a safeguard for your faith to be reminded of these things, for these things to be repeated. Verse 2, here's another reminder. Beware of dogs, not Fido, you know, not four-legged little lovable things that we we love so much. But what he's talking about is, he says here, these evil workers, these evil people, Dogs is always a reference towards individuals that you ought to be cautious of within your life, okay? Workers of iniquity, people who like to show up and they just want to mess things up. You need to be cautious of people like that. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Uh, Beware of the mutilation. 
right? That's, that's a, an interesting thing. And that's a very strong word there in the Greek that he uses for mutilation in reference towards the, the religious act of circumcision. Because he, gonna, he goes on to say, those who say you must be circumcised to be saved. It's not true. We've already dealt with this. We went through the book of Galatians, and we, we saw that circumcision, the physical act of circumcision, is not necessary for salvation. It's just not. The circumcision of your heart, this spiritual act of the circumcision of your heart, is absolutely essential for your salvation. But the physical act of it, well, it's not necessary. There are, I believe, probably medical benefits that I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really speak on it, and I'm not going to, but there may be some medical benefits and all that good stuff. But Paul is saying, these dogs are showing up saying, look, unless you're circumcised, you're not going to heaven. You're not saved. And that's a lie. That's what makes them dogs. That's what makes them evil workers, is they're saying, the gospel of Jesus is not enough. On its own, it is not enough. They're following along behind Paul saying, yeah, whatever that guy is saying is not true. He says that Jesus is more than enough. Well, that's not true. You need Jesus plus this. Anybody who shows up in your life and says, you need Jesus plus this, dog. They're a dog. I don't mean to say that in a mean way, but you need to be cautious of individuals like that because we know that Christ is more than enough. He's more than enough. Paul uses that term mutilation because that's exactly what it is. When they're talking about this, this physical act done in a religious type way so that you may gain access into heaven, that is mutilating the body. He goes on to say, for we are the circumcision. It's the same word, but it's phrased differently. We are the circumcised, or, or we worship the Spirit of God. Uh, we who worship uh, by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised, meaning our hearts have been dealt with. Our hearts have been dealt with. Worship in the Spirit. What does that mean? How do I worship in the Spirit? Well, you worship in the Spirit by keeping your eyes focused on Jesus, staying in the Word of God, and applying the Word of God to your life. That's how you worship in the Spirit. There's no mystery behind this. Some people like to think it's some sort of mystical, weird kind of feeling. No, it's simple. It's practical. Read the Bible, have a relationship with Jesus, and just put into practice what the Bible says. That's worshiping in the Spirit. It's as simple as that. Will weird, mystical things happen? They could. I don't know. They could. Could you end up speaking in tongues? Yeah, that's a real possibility because that happens. But what's the point of it? That God gets glorified. That's the point. But Paul says, we who worship, uh, we are the circumcision, who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in human effort. And this is speaking in context towards our eternal security and our relationship with him. We worship in the spirit. We, we listen to him. We do what he says. We have an active and a real relationship with Jesus and we put no confidence in our abilities to make ourselves better. Because you can't make yourself better. You just can't. I don't care how strong-willed you are. I don't care how stubborn you are. You cannot make yourself better. The best way you can, quote-unquote, make yourself better is just by surrendering to Jesus on a daily basis, saying, hey, I can't do it today. I need you. I need you today. 
And he always has a way of showing up when we need him the most. And this is what Paul's saying. We put no confidence in our flesh. We put no confidence in our ability or our human efforts. We can't do it. We cannot do it. You can't make your relationship with with Jesus stronger. It's not a performance-based thing. Can your relationship with Jesus grow stronger? Yes. But it's not through your determinedness. It's not through your you know, perfect attendance at church or your perfect attendance when it comes to daily Bible reading. It's not that stuff. It's him working in and through you. Paul's going to, he's going to book in this chapter basically saying the same thing. But the true circumcision, which happens in the heart, is it, that's, you know, you're worshiping in the spirit. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, you got to avoid these individuals over here who are saying, Jesus is not enough. Jesus is more than enough. So let's tap into that. Let's strengthen that. Let's, let's just grow closer to him and allow him to work in and through us. That's our confidence. He's our confidence. He goes on to say, verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Here's Paul with the little, he's like, look, if anybody can brag, it's me. And that's what Paul's saying, okay? And he's right. Look at the list. He says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day, out of, uh, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul's like, hey, if anybody can brag, it's me. If anybody can boast in their, their confidence, in their human ability, it's me. And he was right. If he could, if that stuff even mattered, then he, he beats out everybody. He beats out us for sure. I mean, here's Paul. He's like, look, I was born in the right family. I was born in the right country. Even things beyond my, my control, like being circumcised on the eighth day. He's like, my parents followed the rights and all that stuff to the T. That's how I came into this world. This is how I live my life. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee, and he was. He was a Pharisee. He was the most promising Pharisee that the world had known up until this point. I mean, he was a student above all students. He was like on the dean's list, like top of the list. Like, you don't get better than the Apostle Paul. At that point in time, his name was Saul, but you don't get better than Saul. Concerning zeal, this passion for what he believed in. He's like, I was kicking down doors and arresting Christians. I was the one leading the charge. Nobody was doing that before Paul. Nobody was. He was a trailblazer in the persecution of the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, he's like, I was blameless. I was blameless. He's like, if anybody could brag, it would be me. And he's not saying that in a bragging type way. He's saying that just letting us know that it doesn't matter you really can't brag about any of it. It doesn't really add up to anything. In the economics of of the kingdom of God, all this stuff which we would think matters, if you're looking at it from a worldly perspective, from a heavenly perspective, none of this stuff matters at all. It doesn't matter, which should be good news for you and I. Number one, because, well, I'm not of the stock of Israel. I'm, I'm not Jewish. I did my ancestry DNA thing. I'm not Jewish, not even close. 
Not even close, okay? I'm somewhere stuck in Eastern European, Europe. I don't know where exactly, but somewhere in there. So I'm not of the, I'm not of the stock of Israel. I'm, I'm certainly not of the tribe of Benjamin, okay? Because the first one eliminates all the rest of these. Concerning the law, I was never even, never even came close to being a Pharisee in that sense, right? Churchgoers nowadays have a tendency to become Pharisees in a different way. Um, so we want to avoid that for sure. But Paul's like, look, I... If anybody could be bragging about this stuff, if anybody could place confidence in their flesh, it would be me. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to because it doesn't matter. It's all rubbish. So follow my lead. Follow my lead. Verse 7, this is where you can get this statement. But what things were gain to me or what things were uh, an asset to me, uh, these I have counted as a liability or a loss for Christ. I once thought these things were valuable. This is where I love New Living Translation. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I love it. He just flushed them down the toilet. That's literally what he's talking about here. He's like, these things used to matter to me. All these trophies I used to have on my mantle about the Pharisee of all Pharisees, blameless concerning the law, although technically we know, and he would even own up to the fact that he's like, nobody was blameless. He's like, all those trophies, I just took them off the mantle. And I threw them in the garbage because that's where they belong. Because that's where they belong. See, all these things that were gained to me, I've counted it loss for Christ. Verse 8, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. Everything else is worthless. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Or dung is another word that could be used there. When you put things in their proper perspective, and that's really what Paul's getting at here for the church of Philippi and for us today as well. He's saying, keep things in perspective. Is it okay to own things in this life? Yes. It's okay to have material things Yes, but it is never okay for material things to have you. And it doesn't even have to be material things. It could be intellectual things. It could be all this stuff that we place so much value in. And Paul comes along and says, listen, I've had it all. I've had it all. And when I compare that to Jesus, when I compare that to knowing Jesus, this other stuff, as great as it is, it's garbage. It doesn't add up. It's worthless. His focus is singular. His focus is singular. His focus is to know Christ, to be known by Christ, and to grow in that relationship with Christ. Your focus, my focus, your purpose in life, if you're wondering what it is, it's to know Jesus, to be known by Jesus, and to grow in that relationship with Jesus. And then hold on for the ride. Because if you're waiting for like, but I, I need things to happen. I need to feel like I'm doing stuff. The more you grow in this relationship with Jesus, the more things are going to happen. It's inevitable. So quit chasing after stuff and start chasing after him. Just grow closer to the Lord and then watch what he does. 
it, it's, it's no accident that Paul ended up in Philippi. It's no accident that Paul would end up in all these other places and planting churches. How did he get there? How did that happen? He planned it. He had a 10-year, 15, 20-year plan. No, he didn't have that. He had a surrender to Jesus, and he was determined to stay focused on Jesus and to give his life to him and to grow in that relationship. And as he grew in that relationship with the Lord, the Lord was blowing open these doors for him to, to be used by him. So if you're waiting for that moment, my best advice to you, to myself, is just draw closer to the Lord. Draw closer to the Lord. It's all loss. Paul's like, I count it all as a loss. For the excellence of knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And Paul's like, listen, I've, been, I've gone all in for Jesus, and it's cost me everything. But is it worth it? Totally. Totally. Would you go back, Paul? Never. What all did you lose? I mean, because that's, that's very vague. We don't know what all he lost. There are some ideas as to what he may have lost. He may have lost a spouse in following Jesus. You ever thought about that? He's a Pharisee. Most of the time, those guys needed to be married. Where's his spouse? We don't know. Can't be dogmatic on that. It's cost him a ton. But in proper perspective, Paul's like, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not trading any of it. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Quite the statement. Like we could spend several weeks just on this one little paragraph. Can you just, can you like put yourself there in that, that prison cell as Paul is writing this or he is having somebody else write it for him more than likely? But can you imagine just how fired up the Apostle Paul is getting at this moment as he's just like going and it's just building and it's building and it's building. He's like, you know, he's just thinking, the more he's thinking about Jesus and the more that he's thinking about all this other stuff, it doesn't even compare, it does not compare to, to what I have with him. It doesn't compare to what I have with him. Can you and I echo that sentiment? Can you and I say that today? Just look at your life. Because this is a hard statement. I mean, you, you're, you're probably starting to think through it. Like, he's going through like He's like, look, everything that, that has happened in my life, the good and the bad and all that stuff, none of it even compares to what I have with Jesus. Can, can I make that statement with such zeal as the Apostle Paul. That's a hard one. That's really a difficult one. I haven't accomplished nearly half of what the Apostle Paul had accomplished in his life, right? I didn't have that many, quote unquote, assets. But I, I think through this and I'm like, man, this is a sobering kind of thing. Like, can I say the same thing? I can tell you that, yes, I can. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I look at my life and all the things that have happened in my life, the good and the bad and all that stuff, none of it compares to what I have with Jesus. 
And that's not a slight on good experiences or relationships or anything like that. Not at all. My wife's in the room. It's not at all. And she knows that. I would hope and pray she says the same thing. Because what matters most in this life is our relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Philippians, a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul. This letter was meant to encourage the church in Philippi. Paul expressed great appreciation for this group of believers, and he made sure to mention that they were very generous in supporting his ministry. This is how we feel here at Bread for the Broken, too. We're so grateful for your listening support, as well as any financial support you feel led to give. We ask that you pray for this ministry and also pray about supporting us in ways that are necessary to keep these teachings airing to people near and far. If you're interested in being a part of this support, go to breadforthebroken.com and click on the About tab. You'll find a link there to donate. Thank you for your prayerful consideration of giving to us here. If you missed any of this teaching or would like to hear more from Pastor James in the book of Philippians, visit our website today at breadforthebroken.com. Look under the Listen tab. We'd also love to meet you too, so if you're in the area, come visit us at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday for worship and Bible study. Find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for joining us today as a part of our listening audience. Through this ministry, the gospel is going forth and lives are being changed. Tune in next time for more from the Book of Philippians, right here on Bread for the Broken.